What's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of the Angler's Happy Hour podcast. In today's episode, we chat with our good buddy, Cody Meyer. We dive into river fishing for smallmouth, rat problems, scorpion stings, 10-pound spotted bass, and almost getting pulled off a cliff by a sleeping buddy. Stick around. All right, guys, we are back at it. I'm in the cave. Rob's in his truck, and Nick is in his cave over there. The only uh, bad thing we're having to deal with right now is the Arizona heat. It's about 100 degrees in my cave right now. How about how about yours, Nick? Yeah, the cave... Um cave is a little warm i might have to rig a fan up do you have any sort of aeration going on in your i guess fans are bad for audio quality so yeah you can't i mean it, that's the problem we're gonna have to figure something out at some point or we're just gonna have to learn how to sweat but rob is your truck? maybe we should all just go sit in uh rob's fancy truck over there and just try and stay six feet away from each other in the air-conditioned seats of his truck <laughs> sounds awesome yeah that's actually. <laughs> I'm actually pretty comfortable. It's 92 outside, but nice and Rob's uh, just freaking lounging back in the driver's seat. Oh, yeah. Where are you, dude? Did you drive to like a nice vista so you can like rain down no. on us with all your infinite wisdom? I'm watching uh, the kids play ball with the dog right now, throwing the the chuck it ball. So that, my dog's like, got long a stick. The long stick thing, and my dog has a new like he just drives us crazy. That's all he wants to do is play catch or fetch with that ball. Since, since the the launcher arrived, since the launcher, and he is just eating up with that thing, dude. He will yeah. he will go for hours and then come in the house and just pant for days. I mean, he's and just, die. Yeah, it's awesome. So hey, that's cool. But he's got he's gotten super lean since we live in this house. Now he's getting a lot more. Uh, a lot more exercise pretty so pretty cool that's really cool i'll tell you which go ahead sorry go no go ahead the cool thing about like doing the the podcast out of rob's truck would be like we could leave rob's house and do the podcast out of the truck and by the time the podcast ended we'd be at burger house get (laughs) our burritos eat them and then do a whole a second podcast on the way back we knock out two podcasts get lunch and be good to go Good call. Right. Let's do it. Sweet man, Let's Monday. That's Monday's plan. I'm down. Let's do it. Yeah. <laughs> um, How about you guys? Are you guys going a little stir crazy? I I know I'm going stir crazy just with not. Um, you know, we got uh, Boyd and his girlfriend hanging out this weekend, and my wife, and we're just like, we want to do something. You just can't do anything. Yeah. You know, it's just terrible. It's like you you feel like you want to go grab a bite to eat, and it's just all takeout. Everything's just it's just starting to wear on us a little bit. How about you guys? 100%. Oh, I would echo that. Yeah, I would echo that sentiment a ton. You know, I, I was at uh, Lowe's yesterday because we're still working on a bunch of projects around our house here, and I think that that's at least here locally in the you know Phoenix area. I think that's just the sentiment of everyone, man. It was busy there, yep. and people are just. I think we're just getting done. Every time you drive by a restaurant in the beginning of this whole deal, it was crickets, dude. People were yep. just at home. But now every restaurant you drive by that has a drive-through, even the restaurants that kind of suck. Dude, they're like 15 deep in the drive-thru. So yeah, we I saw like Wiener Schnitzel with like 20 cars. Seriously, dude, right? Have, like you ever eaten a schnitzel? Have you ever no. been there? No, no. I mean, nothing Who against has? them, but has, holy dude. cow! If any of our listeners have, like D minus on the tell food us. report. <laughs> That's crazy, dude. That's desperation right there. That's so, hilarious. Yeah, we. Yep. I mean, dude, I've with the kids. You know, they want to get out of the house. I feel bad for my daughter because she's like her imagination thankfully is endless but 
I mean, the, the imagination game she's playing, I'm like, God dang, I wish she could just hang out with her friends. You know what I mean? So I feel, yeah. feel bad for her on that. She's talking to imaginary princesses and stuff like that. And I'm like, <laughs> damn. I wish you're you could catching see imaginary fish. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, we are uh, definitely spinning so, out as a country right now. <laughs> so check this out. One thing we've been doing is uh, we talked about it on a previous podcast was uh, – we're about halfway through the Ozark. Uh, we're about halfway th- through the second season right now. Okay. Um, it's it's great. I'm sure I'll watch the rest of it. But, like, we were watching it, and I'm just like, okay, I've had enough. I've had enough people dying. I've had enough stress about them getting – it's just Don't crazy. tell me anything. So, I haven't watched any of it, so don't, don't even – Yeah, don't you need something – you know, you need something funny and good, right? So, something lighthearted. Yeah, so we're watching it two nights ago. We're sitting there watching. My wife and I are watching it. And I've got this guy keeps texting me, hey, what do you think of this boat? What do you think of this boat? And I'm responding with like, great, good, maybe not, that type of stuff. And he just busts my balls about, can I get some more in-depth responses? Can, I said, like, can you respond with more than five words? Ex- expletive. <laughs> Here's the thing. like Nick is sending boats that he knows he's not going to buy, though, dude. That's the exactly only thing. Exactly my like, point. Right. Yeah. Like, I'm going to start just saying junk. No, never. <laughs> That type of stuff, dude. You're just a Neanderthal. Uh, you don't. So have my point is, <laughs> my point is, is like I'm watching Ozark. Leave me alone, dude. So anyhow, it's hilarious, dude. I, yeah. I thought the I, bromance went deeper than that. Clearly, it doesn't. I actually like What's, it because, like, the, to me, boats are like cars are to Nick. You know, like I love, I love. Uh, I, I, I'm shopping, never in the right? market for a boat, but I'll just jump on Craigslist and see what's out there. Sometimes, you know. Yeah. No, I agree with that, but it was just funny. I told him that texting was for two or three word answers, not for conversations. So <laughs> I guess I'm like, from a right. different, I'm from a different generation, I guess. Dude, I think you're from the <laughs> Jurassic era, if that's how you feel. Yes. Like, I think there's yeah. like, some centenarians out there like that dang tangled text messaging. Really? So for a moment, I thought I offended him, you know, and I was like, I'm just feeling a little tough about how all of a sudden, like everything went crickets for like two days. So he bounced Anyhow. back. <laughs> I am easily offended. If you know anything about me, I take things very personally, and I am easily offended. Hey, but you took in fishing, <laughs> yeah. and now you guys are tight again. Yeah, we're all good. So, yeah, we went to um, Colorado our, what River. What day was that? A couple of days ago, what, Thursday we all went? So it was fun. But Yeah, only 131 hours ago, but I'm not counting. <laughs> yeah. That was my first hit back on the old uh, proverbial um, addiction wagon there, and it uh, got me fired up, man. I that was, I needed that, you know, having a new baby and not being able to get on the water for a while and then going out, you know, and doing that was awesome, man. So even though we had to sacrifice your boat and blow it sky high and then use your trolling motor for 85% of the day on a river, luckily the current wasn't too much. That was, that was awesome. man. In a certain way, I think it kind of helped us a little bit. It kind of, it put us in an area that was probably a little less desirable to fish. Right. But yeah, I think, I think the reason was, or the the positive behind that was is we're efficient fish that weren't pressured, um, mm-hmm. and I think we fared all right for not having a motor three quarters of the day. So, dude, kind of the old adage hiding in plain sight, right? Yeah, for sure. For sure, that's a good one. Yep. Yeah. Tell us about your day, Josh. So, just actually, we should probably break down what we did. I in my boat, I had Nick uh, and Nick's dad, Vic. Uh, the three of us fished together. And then uh, Josh was uh, social distancing the correct way, um, and he was by himself, which is he, Josh is probably should get props for doing it the right way. But 
Well, no, you know, no, no, it's, no. dude, I'll tell you what, it sucks. It just sucks not being able to fish with your friends. Like, I mean, I've had, what's funny is I've got this list of friends I want to take fishing that I've wanted to take fishing for years. You know what I mean? And um, now I've got all the time in the world to do it and I'm fishing by myself. So I'm thankful to be able to get out there and, and fish by myself, at least be on the water and do what I like to do. And um, I'm getting some work done when I'm out there too, doing you know, some content for sponsors and stuff, but yet it's, it stinks doing that long trip by yourself. And then you catch a big one and it's like, Oh, I got no one to show or high five. You know what I mean? Do you like high five yourself? Like slow five. (laughs) Yeah. So I just, (laughs) I take a lot of different (laughs) pictures of it. That way I can look at it over and over. You like break your arm. Oh yeah. yeah, Nice job. (laughs) (laughs) But it was, it was, it was good for me, man. I mean, it started slow and we were fishing smallmouth. You know, I, I caught one largemouth, and I know you guys saw some big largemouth, but we were fishing for smallmouth, and um, I was out there really. My goal was to catch a bunch of fish on a, a spy bait just to get some good footage with it. And uh, once that sun got high, it really, like, kicked on for me. I ended up catching, I don't know, I probably caught close to 20 fish through the course of the day, and the quality between, you know, the hours of, like, 10 and 2, the quality was really good. Like, everything was over 3 pounds, and caught a few over four so it was, it was fun yeah it's pretty incredible for smallmouth and especially in the desert when it's 100 plus degrees right yeah the colorado river is amazing isn't it guys it's like to me it's one of the yes. most we talked about it last week and we used the word mesmerizing and nick you know said there are a couple mesmerizing things about the colorado river and uh you know but it's just it's amazing that you're in the middle of one of the the most arid deserts in the country maybe the most arid desert in the country and You've just got this lush waterway that, you know, is so full of life, so beautiful. It's like a paradise. It's it's like befuddling. You honestly look out there and it's like moonscape. Even the rocks have like a purplish, like sunburned, yeah. <laughs> uncomfortable appearance about them. They're the tallest piece of vegetation is like a shrub and, and there's not even very many of them. And then, dude, you nailed it. That water is like emerald green. And uh, Rob and I caught fish, dude. We Rob caught a nice smallmouth, dude. It puked out a perfect, perfectly intact crayfish. I mean, it must have been like two seconds old when he ate Rob's bait, and then and then he puked up like a stonefly larva too. So I mean, those fish have so much food in there. You wouldn't, you just wouldn't even, you know, wouldn't even think it was there. Yeah, you'd think it'd be a hard life living out in the middle of a desert for a fish. And, and dude, you look at Lake Mead, and it kind of is. What's what's mind blowing to me is how tough need can be and how ridiculously good Havasu, Mojave, yeah. Parker, Lower Colorado. Uh, is it the constantly fluctuating water level? That's probably my best guess is like the water Possibly. level going up. And it, hasn't always, it hasn't always been the case though, Josh. I mean, back in my early tournament days, so, you know, through the 90s, a 10-pound bag on Havasu was good. True. So it's... You know, there was no smallmouth in there, at least not in the numbers that they are now. I know there was always a few, but um, it would be a rarity to see a smallmouth weighed in at Havasu. And, and now it's, um, I mean, it's probably 75% of the fish weighed in, right? Yeah. Just, a good I, I don't know the, that yeah, to exactly. It depends exact, on the time but, of year, but they're a very big player. Right, right. But the largemouth have really blown up in there. I mean, I just, their habitat program and, you know, the, the game and fish or the folks that are running that, uh, that lake Havasu, I mean, they're just, they've done a great job with the habitat for sure. Yeah. So, Does it trickle I mean, down to Parker? How do you explain the smallmouth getting bigger in Parker? 
I don't know because you know this was the second time I fished Parker. I, I fished it. Um, God, it was in May, probably twenty-two, probably twenty-two years ago, something like that. And we caught more largemouth then, and we caught uh, you know a handful of small smallmouth, but not nothing like what we caught this time. It was pretty impressive. So yeah, the trickle down effect. I don't know. Maybe it's just cycling. It's just good. Maybe the maybe the bait fish. I mean that whole system. I'm, it's hard to believe that just structure and Havasu helped. There's got to be a, a bait fish. Yeah, like a biomass aspect yeah, to sure. it too, you wonder, right? Because it's funny, my dad made the comment. So where I spent time growing up in Wyoming, the western part of the state, believe it or not, so that mountain range is the Wind River Mountains. The drainage off of the, I think that would be the southwest corner of that mountain range Dude, is the upper Green River, and then the Green River ends up flowing into the Colorado River. That's the headwaters of all those fisheries that we're talking about. Yep. And, I mean, from start to finish, that is just a, just a flush, you know, biomass dumping and dumping and dumping. But it doesn't, you know, I wouldn't think that would have changed either, Rob. Like you said years ago, Havasu, a big bag, was 10 pounds. So maybe those things just cycle. I don't know. But, boy, we're living in a good time for it right now. Every one of those lakes, with the exception of mead being challenging, are bomb yeah we and we talked about uh smallmouth just we love catching largemouth i love catching a big largemouth but smallmouth are so special you know and they've been really special to me just over all my time in tournament fishing something about smallmouth i've just i've always done a little bit better in smallmouth tournaments than largemouth tournaments and they're just so fun to catch like uh there's just nothing better than a than a, a good quality smallmouth they're so they're just so crazy and um, they're so different than largemouth like did we tell you this friend they are yep for sure yeah, they, did, did we tell you that sorry rob go ahead it, did we tell you the story about the one largemouth that we caught in my boat the largemouth I, no we caught one i didn't yeah, know we that. lured i lured him out of the tulies with the frog and then nick bombed my bait like complete like i don't know what you call <laughs> While your bait, it Dude, the I, fish was looking at your frog and he threw on top of it Dude, I'm a assuming we didn't mind that's inappropriate, but I, I think we, it, it, it ends we didn't quite we didn't quite know that it was looking at it. But he's like, oh, sorry, as his bait lands inches <laughs> from my frog. And then he's like, oh, I think I got one. And like a three and a half pounder is jumping. Oh, sick. And that's my, cool. Yeah, it was all it was pretty cool for him. <laughs> yeah. Dude, hey, that was payback totally for the joking. one at Canyon. What's that? Yeah. Payback for the one you, we took from him at Canyon. That Did broke I him take off. One from him? Yeah, the one that broke oh, him off. And it yeah, was like but a giant. He, I didn't even have a chance. He gave he gave that one up. He broke him off. Remember? That's true. That's true. <laughs> yeah, he, he's it was too up. small for me. <laughs> Dude, it was classic too because I felt bad. You know, we're we Josh has got his big twenty-one foot, beautiful, shiny, brand new Z twenty-one, and then Rob, myself, and my dad are hunkered down in his nineteen-foot Triton. So I'm up on the front deck with him. And I just threw an air and cast and didn't realize that it was, I landed within like two feet of where Rob's frog had been working. And so then I felt bad and I was like, oh, all right, well, hold on, let me just catch this fish. And I was like, dude, I set the hook jokingly. So it must have been like. You a, didn't even a, know the fish was on? Dude, a nanosecond, you know, Shut it was up. on a spy bait. So the rod just loaded up. And then I was like, oh, son of a gun, like it's either a fish or grass. And then it jumped and I was like, oh, thanks, man. I'll, I'll go ahead and reel it in. <laughs> First fish I've caught in a long time is awesome. That's cool. That's cool. I didn't realize that uh, you had a solid largemouth like that. That's cool. Dude, you know, going back to just the cool thing about smallmouth too, is like saying that they're like the fisherman's fish, like the fisherman's friend. 
Dude, you'll see one of them. And Rob did this. Like, you will see one swim under the boat. Like, super clear water, obviously. So it's just an aquarium, like a glass-bottom boat. And he pitches out a Ned rig. And this four-pound small eye just spooked by the boat, swims away. And then it sees his bait and, like, does a 180, swims to the bottom, noses down on it like it's a bonefish eating a crab. And just, boop, Rob catches him. Like, we spooked that fish, and he still swam out of his way to go That's eat it. it. Like, that if, is epic. If it's a largemouth, it's gone. Oh, but- yeah, the smallmouth, they've just got that anger to them, and it's so awesome. They just awesome. want to be they're caught. They're just hunters. <laughs> they're just hunters, man. They're so, they're so cool. So, Josh, we were talking, um, I think we were talking on the phone on our way home, and to Nick and I and his dad, and we had you on the phone on speaker in the truck, and you were talking about fishing that spy bait and that current. You want to go over that a little bit and how, I mean, a spy bait's a weird bait. I mean, you, you need to fish it slow, and it's not exactly easy to fish stuff slow and ripping current ripping for sure yeah great question and you know when you're fishing in current the the number one most important thing as you guys know is to just make your bait look natural and so it's got to be coming with the current uh, to some degree but if you're in an area that's got ripping current you can't just throw it straight up into the current if it's a spy bait and expect it to have the same action that it would if it was not getting pushed you know two three miles an hour by the current it's not going to have that rocking listing action that uh, makes it so good so for me like if i'm in heavy current and i'm saying i'm coming across a shoal like a shallow shoal that's got smallmouth on it the smallmouth aren't going to be up on top of the shoal swimming constantly into the current but the top of the shoal is going to have a couple rocks or you know uh, just something a, a tiny little six inch drop off for that smallmouth to get d- back down behind and hide so it can sit there so i'll ca- kind of cast cross current and um I'll throw up like it maybe a 45 degree and just reel this thing back and the current's taking it down. So it's naturally still floating down with the current, but it's coming cross current enough to where the bait still got its kind of listing action. So um, in heavy current, that's one thing. And then you get into areas that have eddies or current, like big current breaks where you can just throw it straight up into the current, but it, it can't just be getting pushed straight down current like that. It doesn't, it just doesn't act right. It doesn't work right. But I think that, you know, we talked multiple reasons on why they bit um, well later and uh, not to go too deep into it. But that's that's one of the crazy baits, a spy bait, where the fi- it's so visual that the fish eat it better when the sun is high. Like if you I threw it in the morning and caught a couple fish on it. But once that sun got high you, you, and the fish get on it, you literally have the confidence that a smallmouth will come. 20 feet to eat this thing and you know i guarantee that's what's happening you know you're not throwing it yep. you're not hitting them on the head when you're throwing this thing across a big sand flat or big giant shoal they just think they've got so much water clarity and they see this one beautiful natural little minnow swimming through the water that's an easy meal and boom i mean it's a sometimes the bite is like really subtle and it's just a tick and then sometimes it just gets t-boned and it just Did it knock some slack into it yeah it just it's like just stops like it just hits a wall uh, <laughs> do you feel like do you feel like the reason behind the different type of bite is let's say when they smash it they're coming from a further away and they're just gaining speed or what i mean great question I know it's Probably. kind of a silly question but i mean it's got to be a lot of maybe the direction they hit it from or i mean you just never know but yeah. i know it's kind of a silly question but i've always wondered you'll you know in the spring you'll throw a spinnerbait and one fish will just blast it and the other one will just come up and just get heavy you know and it's like mm-hmm. Maybe it's the direction they're eating it. Who knows? But probably so, though, right? Yeah, coming from behind, they knock slack into it, and if they're coming head on yeah. with it, just bam. You know, it's a, yeah, it's like a freight train hitting it. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah. 
but just a just a thought you know that's interesting yeah but it's a it was a fun way to catch them um and as far as stuff that you get you guys mainly caught them on plastics we caught them on yeah we caught them on small um two and a half inch long swim baits on a like a three sixteenths ounce jig head just randomly like up casting. off the bottom or on the bottom no. inches of below inches below the surface right right on yeah nick nick's dad asked how far below the surface and i said seven inches and he looked at me like i'm like no i'm just kidding just just cast a reel the dang thing you know and <laughs> <laughs> um that, that's just me being a smart ass but anyhow uh, a lot of the plastic fish were actually all the plastic fish were 100 percent related to shade interesting um, makes they, sense yeah, so we were just, I don't think it really mattered. I know Nick was throwing a drop shot, and I was throwing a uh, Ned rig. Um, yeah, I don't think it really mattered what it was. It was more the location of the cast was everything. Yeah, so. makes sense. And, and, you know, and coinciding with what you were saying, Josh, how your bike got better as the sun got higher, um, in kind of like a, a reversed way, that was similar for us too, but it was positioning the fish we were catching in the shade. Right, Rob? So where we were fishing, yeah. we had much less current and we had some docks and some stuff like that going on. And so the sun probably still helped a bunch because it put them into the shade for us, right? Like probably those for fish sure. do live docks primarily in that part of the, the river, but we weren't having the same success slow with finesse plastics like we did as soon as those shade lines became really defined. Um, and, and even, you know, when we fished on the Colorado side, we had a lot of follows and we weren't connecting, there was less the shade Cal- on that California, side, too. California side, you mean? Yeah, did I, yeah, whatever. Sorry, you both mean, the Colorado side. Had. Yeah, yeah. touche. Yeah, the California <laughs> side, we had a lot of followers. And, uh, not, no, thank you for clarifying, because you, you knew what I was going with that. I but like yeah, I when we that, confuse the listeners, though, and just keep them wondering a little bit, like, hmm, where were they? <laughs> we want a mystery here. You know, we're, we're talking about three states. you got Arizona, Colorado River, and California. It's like, where in the world is Carmen San Diego? No one knows. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, man, you know, it's, that's kind of counterintuitive, too. Sometimes you think that first light, you know, is your chance to make it happen. And then as the sun gets higher, it's going to get tougher. But for whatever reason, that wasn't the case. You know, yeah, smallmouth, and us. that's just something to remember, guys. Smallmouth are sight feeders. Uh, they, they really, really are. And there are a few, there's different strains of smallmouth, like there's different strains of largemouth and spots. And there are parts of the country where um, a lot of people believe they like nasty weather. And I'm one of those people, like if you take the strain that lives in like Texas and Oklahoma and even the Ozarks, they love the nasty days. They love the nasty days. But m- the majority of the smallmouth that I've fished for in my life like it sunny. They like those bright, sunny, calm days. And uh, if you have a tough morning, it's worth being patient because a lot of times it'll improve if you can handle the boat traffic later in the day. Uh, <laughs> and the searing 193-degree heat. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So yeah, I, can, I can only imagine what the boat traffic does there, uh, non-COVID, uh, holiday weekends. I think that's what saves those fish in that water is, I mean, it, it's not a giant fishery. So I think if it was easy to travel there, easy to, to run your boat, it would, uh, get a lot get more humbled. pressure, but, but just the, Good I point. mean, we were there, we were there on a Thursday during a stay at home order and it still yeah. got silly in the afternoon, it right? Was crazy dude. And I forgot to tell you guys, I got yelled at by a dude and a wife and a cigarette boat. Uh, there's so the further up you go, you start running into some shoals and reefs that you have to watch out for. And for me, not knowing it, you know, it's easy to run 
just because it was calm and sunny and the water's so clear, you could see this gigantic shoal that's in the middle of the river. And uh, there's one shoal that goes all the way from the Arizona side to the middle of the river. And to go around it, you obviously have to get on the left. You know, I know that you obviously when you're driving, you stay to the right side like you're driving on a road. Well, dude, I have to get into the middle of the river, maybe a little bit more to the California side to avoid this shoal. And dude, this, this couple comes by in a big cigarette boat coming down the river, and they're both pointing and flipping me off and pointing across the river like, get across the river, get on the right side. And uh, I'm like, I just waved back. I was like, well, I mean, there's... Was a, it a one-finger wave back or was a, it the whole No, hand? I waved. I was just like, you know, if I see them later, I'll tell them, but there's a six-inch deep reef right there that I'm trying to avoid, you know, and uh, there's plenty of room. But uh, the, the further up, you know, the more you got to watch for that stuff, and I... I had a couple funny little like river running stories I thought you guys would like. And if you guys yeah. have some, I, I, I'd love to hear them. But uh, you guys know who Tommy Biffle is. Tommy Biffle, um, one of the most well-known bass fishermen ever. Like when he retires, he'll be in the Bass Fishing Hall of Fame for sure. And he's a notorious river fisherman. Like he's, he's known on tour. You know, I've been fishing with him for probably eight years now. And he's known on tour as being one of the craziest dudes for running shallow. Even as he gets older, he's crazy he's not afraid to run his boat through anything and he used to be apparently even worse well apparently uh, back back in the day of the arkansas river he he's telling this story to a buddy of mine and i had a, a weigh-in one time they're fishing the arkansas river and this is back when pro on pro draws were like like when rob fished the bass masters it was pro on pro draw and he draws this guy and has to fish out of this other guy's boat and biffle <laughs> knows the river like the back of his hand and biffle wanted to use his boat and the other guy wanted to use his boat and like it's you're just an idiot if you don't want to go out in biffle's boat on the arkansas river like it you know yeah. it's a bad call and you know the guy yeah, knows there the was, river better than anyone go ahead there, there was a strategy to those tournaments back there and, and that guy did not know what to do if he didn't go with Biffle. no you understand what i'm saying no like like that's when you just give up your rights to your boat when you draw a guy like that yeah on his home water so, dude, the on guy, his home water, it's just ridiculous. Yeah, yeah. So sorry about that. I just no, had to yeah, no, that's good. I appreciate the clarification you were there. there. So. Yeah, this is Rob. That was the guy. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> the guy's running down the uh, middle of the river, and Biffle like knows there's a shallow shoal coming up, dude. But the guy was just such a you know jerk to the guy to him. He's like, I'm not gonna say anything. And, uh, <laughs> Sure enough, dude, they get close to it, and Biffle just holds on. He goes and clenches his teeth, and <laughs> they hit this shoal, dude, and uh, the guy knocks his lower unit off. Tournament's over. Oh. And uh, oh. Biffle's, like, you know, thinking, like, dude, you know, you should have gone with me. And uh, so but the, the real funny part is after the tournament's over, Biffle drives back out there in his boat, goes out to that shoal, you know, drops an anchor, gets in the water, and gets the guy's lower unit. And because uh, he knocked it straight off, knocked it clean off. Wow. Gets the lower unit and then sold it, dude. <laughs> <laughs> Paid for his tournament entry at yeah, least, right? Yeah. How hilarious <laughs> is that? Dude, That's that awesome. sold it on eBay back to the guy. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good one. And, uh, dude, uh, I had one Oklahoma River mishap. This happened to me a couple, it happened to me in 2017. So the first time I fished Grand Lake, Grand Lake is in like northeast Oklahoma, I believe. Um, first time I fished there was a classic, and I had been warned if you go up the Elk River, 
there is a blown out bridge that's like depending on the water level barely out of the water or barely under the water and you know like everyone you talk to is like hey if you go up the elk river watch out for that bridge because apparently it wasn't well marked or whatever so i knew about it in like that whole tournament i was very careful cautious of it i marked it and uh never hit it so uh 18 months pass and i'm i'm back there for an open i'm fishing an open and i'm pre-fishing and um I don't know what was in my going through my head this morning, but I'm like, I'm going to go up and check the elk. So I'm running up there and I'm running right into the sun. Like the sun's just barely ah. rising. So it's, 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 I'm running straight into the glare and I completely forget about this bridge. Like I, it's oh. been a year and a half and I just totally forgot. And like, I'm half asleep cause I've been on the road for two weeks and just tired. And like, um, I'm driving and I see these two buoys and one, I see to the right, one is red. I can't remember if it's the right or left, but one's red. I'm like, oh, cool. They got a channel, channel markers marker. back here. So, uh, and the other one is too much glare to see the color of it. So I'm just like, whatever. And I got a buddy with me, my co-angler that's uh, pre-fishes with me. So, so you're going to shoot it. Dude. Yeah. I'm just like casually like 40 miles an hour, 45 miles an hour and go right between the buoys, dude. And the hardest impact I've ever experienced <laughs> in my life, dude. <laughs> Bam! And uh, the motor comes up out of the water, and like it's the motor goes, wah, 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 and it's still running. And uh, we get off time. pad, and I look at my buddy. I'm like, "Holy crap, dude!" And he's like, his eyes are this wide, you know. And, uh, <laughs> there's boats fishing the bank next to us that are pre-fishing. They're like, "What are those idiots doing?" You know. And uh, I'm like, "Holy crap!" He's like, "Dude, we hit it with the boat." We hit it with the boat. Like, there's got to be a We're hole sinking. in the bottom of the yeah. boat right now. And the motor somehow is still running. Like, I hit it so solidly with the motor. Like, if you if you can picture the nose cone of a motor, how it goes straight down, and then it angles at right at the cone, it hit it a quarter inch below the cone. So it hit on the angle. If I would have hit it a half inch higher, it would have just taken it ripped off it clean. Off. Yeah, ripped it off. So... Dude, and I can instantly smell the oil. O oil is pour gear oil is pouring out of the lower unit. It smells like burnt oil instantly. Um, and I'm like, well, dude, we got to see what this was. Like, I know it's the bridge, but I'm like, I need to see how low it is below the water to see if we hit the boat or if it was just the motor. So I'm, idle, I'm so shaken up. I'm, I idle back up to this bridge too fast, and the boat gets high centered on the bridge. Because <laughs> oh, no. So now, dude. Uh, the motor's just barely still running. We're high centered on the bridge, and the bridge is like four inches below the surface, dude. And it's a, a foot wide, just a solid concrete, straight concrete wall that we ran into. So I'm like, throw it in reverse, and the boat's just like, slowly backing, you know, inch at a time, coming off the bridge, just destroying the bottom of the boat. And, oh. um, <laughs> dude, we get back to the ramp. And uh, we get, we make it all that we run 10 miles back to the ramp. The motor makes it all the way back. And I'm just like, Oh, this is amazing. We uh, load it up and, and we pull out and oil, oil is just dumping out of the motor and uh, get it fixed up, dude. We hadn't hit it originally with the boat, but then I had scratched up the bottom of the boat when I went and high centered it the second time. Uh, <laughs> what an dude, idiotic me, move. Dude, that makes me feel good though, because honestly I have not, you know, piloted a boat on very many rivers and so it's a huge fear of mine dude like i i would be nervous and overly cautious the cigarette boat would have been yelling at me because i would have been going like two miles an hour probably so it's funny you share a story like that it actually makes me feel a little bit better about my fear it also reminds me of uh remember when i bought your old graphs um 
years ago on the CDC, I bought your graphs and uh, a little present you left on the graphs oh, were all your oh, waypoints. Yes. I and remember this I, one. I sucked. You know, I didn't know. Oh, anything. you didn't suck? No, dude. But yeah, well, you I, got I, a graph full of waypoints, <laughs> so you're going to check these out, right? Oh, well, I'm saying like I sucked at fishing, and not that I'm much better now, but so all of a sudden I've got, you know, Big Jock Bertrand's graph full of waypoints. And so the first few I try, I'm catching them, dude. Like I'm, I'm just, it was the right time of year for all your offshore spots, and instantly my ego went to like a thousand. I'm like, damn, like I am really good I got at fishing. This like, out. Heck yeah, dude, I'm untouchable. Like I'm like now breaking down the differences between like a six pound test leader and an eight pound test leader and how much of a difference. None of that stuff matters. Obviously it's like, it was just good, good spots. So I'm looking at all and I've exhausted most of them. And it was at Saguaro and I was like, damn, he's got a spot at like the very top of the river by the dam. I've never even ran up there. Like, I don't even know what's up there. I'm going to give that one a shot. And so, as you know, it's a long idle. Once you get to the mouth of the river, it's like a three-week idle to get to the dam. So I am a good boy, and I idle slow, and I'm finally, like, I can see it showing up on the graph, and anticipation is just getting me. I'm like, I got to speed up. Like, I just can't do this. So I went to, like, a fast idle. I was going, like, seven, eight miles an hour, and the waypoint's coming closer, coming closer, coming closer. I'm like, this doesn't make any sense. The bottom is, like, eight feet deep everywhere here. Like, there's no there's no reason why... There's a spot here that he can catch a fish out of. And then in, all of a sudden, dude, there's this big goldish brown giant boulder <laughs> right what in the middle. dude? Dude, I missed it by the skin of my teeth. Dude, I like banked hard to the left, coasted over it, and didn't hit. And then I sat down and I was like, all right, that was karma for stealing all your spots. I but, wish uh, I could. I wish I would have been like planning that out. That would have been hilarious. It would have been amazing. Yeah, put it where I would have hit it. I had I, marked I did, this boulder got... just so I wouldn't hit it in the past. <laughs> and I'm like getting ready to go poach it, and then nearly crashed into it. But uh, I don't know, man. It feels a little better knowing that you've made the mistake of smashing into a bridge and then idling around and then trying to get high centered on it. Oh, that dude, gives yeah. Me a little bit I of was confidence. Just... <laughs> You know, I don't know if I've gotten any advice on if you are new to river fishing. The best thing I would say is, like, if you're, if you're new to running rivers, um, of course, the best thing to do is to go slow and take your time. Um, Google Earth is your friend. You can look at Google Earth and see how the channel runs and even take those those waypoints off of Google and put it onto your uh, unit. And then, uh, you know, if all else fails, just either, you know, uh, or I'd say just go later in the day um, when the sun kind of makes things a little easier to see. In the morning, things are... You don't see the riffles on the surface quite as well. You don't see uh, the the light sand or rocks or whatever. And, and, you know, a lot of the Colorado River is pretty forgiving where it's just sand. And I've hit a lot of sandbars over the years, but there. But um, that stretch we were at last week was all rock, man. If you make that was a mistake rock, there, that you're hurt. hitting rocks. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, what else? You guys got anything else? Uh, we do... Uh, we do have a good interview today. I was going to see if we wanted to just make this whole episode, but I don't think we got another 30 minutes in us. If you guys, do you guys have anything else you want to talk about fishing from this week? Mm, yeah, man. I don't, I, other than just the, the good time we had in Parker and we beat that horse. It's, it's dead and, and bloated at this point. So yeah, man, I think I'm good. Awesome. Well, uh, so we had a chance to talk to our buddy Cody Meyer and Cody is a, he's a, a MLF pro from California. He fished over at FLW for 10 plus years. And I mean, he is, a, he is one of the, he is truly one of the top anglers in the country for bass. He's notorious for his consistency. He's, you know, I, I should have looked at his actual stats before rambling all this, but um, I think he's finished second in Angler of the Year uh, two or three times on FLW, and he's been in the top ten literally every year. 
came over to MLF and he's doing fantastic. He's just an amazing fisherman and a really cool guy. One of my really good friends, and uh, he's got some awesome stories. He had some some pretty pretty good ones, didn't he? Sounds, sounds like he's got a pretty mean throat punch. Collects <laughs> <laughs> yeah. pollen in his in his off time. So yeah, he's a he's a colorful individual. He he was fun to talk to for sure. All right, guys. Well, uh, let's uh, let's send it over to Cody. Hope you guys enjoy. On man. Not much, man. Good to be here. Good to be seen. Uh, just doing some some chores around the house, man. This is this is definitely weird times. Right on, right on. Yeah, I, every time I talk to you, dude, you're doing chores. You're you're either fishing or doing chores. Yes, yes, I have. So we have five acres here, and we completely remodeled this house. So there is uh, there's I painted the whole outside of the house, whole inside of the house. Just rewelded the fence, put in a French drain. I uh, did some woodwork. So, yeah, I'm like, I am out of every angler that is not fishing. I want to go back fishing more than anyone, I promise you. <laughs> <laughs> what, dude, what French drain? North- do, you, do you have a basement? No, no, I don't have a basement, but uh, just a two-story house, just a big farmhouse. So it's it's great. But, hey, honestly, it's so much work. It's kind of overwhelming. Cool, man. You just like to live that French life, huh? Yeah, yeah, trying to live. Uh, <laughs> sure. Rob, did you have Rob, something, dude? Yeah, what's up? Yeah, I was just curious, what part in Northern California are, are you at, and, and what what lake are you closest to, or water are you closest to? So I live in Northern California, between Reno, Nevada, and Sacramento. Uh, the closest lakes are like Clear Lake's two hours away. The Delta is an hour and a half. You got all the spotted spotted bass fisheries, Orville, Shasta, within a couple hours. So right on, perfect mix there. Dude, we always talk about how, and you're a prime example, Cody, uh, not to pump your tires too early in the podcast, dude, but you, <laughs> so many good fishermen come from that region because you guys have every type of water imaginable to a bass fisherman. Yeah. You know, you have, you know, clear lake, so you can go frog flip, throw big swim baits, and then you go to the Delta tidal water. Um, you get to learn how to do that. And then you drive an hour away and you have, 40 foot visibility, deep clear water. So yeah, you, you really do learn it all. Uh, but then we're what we're eight, nine hours from the desert. So you could kind of, I feel like West coast in general, we get to see so much stuff that uh, prepares you for when you go back East. hundred percent. Your first win was on Havasu, wasn't it? Like, like professional tournament win. I don't like Shasta. Lake Shasta? Shasta. Gotcha. Yeah. Asta, but uh, you know I've only been to Havasu three or four times. Man, I love that place. Done top ten there three out of the four times. It's not bad. Uh, really, yeah, not bad. It's that's Bertrand status there. <laughs> no, it's three out of forty-four times for me, bro. <laughs> no, but uh, I love going down there. Man, I hope I hope we come out and do some do some fishing out there someday. But man, like you say, the West Coast, man, is. You know, obviously we're a long ways from stuff, but man, we have some awesome fisheries and uh, I'm glad I definitely grew up out here. Right on. Well, dude, uh, you know, I know these guys have a couple questions, but let's get right into the stories. Just, uh, you know, you've become one of my really good friends and dude, you're one of the best, you know, funny fishing storytellers that I've ever met. Um, and a couple of these I've heard and uh, one or two of them I got from Lucas. But um, let's start with one that I tried to retell on this story, <laughs> uh, the scorpion story, man. It, uh, yeah. Lake Roosevelt. Let's hear that one if you don't mind. Yeah, I don't mind. So this story takes place years ago. We decide to go to Lake Roosevelt. Know nothing about it. Hey, I, I book a room. Um, 
days before at the flea bag in uh, somewhere <laughs> I, somewhere by the lake. So we decided to drive down. We go through this, the town of Payson. It's like in February. This tournament is uh, go through a snowstorm. Right. Get stuck. Almost hit an elk. Miserable time. So we finally get the Payson pressure wash the truck off and we get down to Roosevelt and uh, we, we go and we're like, really, this is where we're staying. And there's four of us, right. In this little room, there's a two bedroom, little tiny room, and like four cabins. And uh, so the first night we get there, um, I get in bed, I'm laying in bed, falling asleep. Right. And all of a sudden just imagine dozing off, your eyes are closed, falling asleep. You feel something crawl on your arm right here, right in the crease of your arm. He's crawling, crawling in the middle of the night. So I flinch my arm, dude. Whack, something gets me. And I'm like, oh, my God. Screaming, <laughs> right? I mean, dude, I have no – I've never seen a scorpion in my life. So I have no clue. Dude, I'm screaming. Dude, something got me. Something. I thought something bit me at the time. And uh, Something got me. <laughs> yeah, something got me. So my buddy JR, dude, JR has no filter, and he's sitting there, and he's like, it's bed bugs. Go back to bed. I'm like, uh. <laughs> Dude, I can't even move my arm. Like bed bugs are so good anyways, dude. Yeah, what why would you just go back to bed in that scenario? I'd probably remove myself anyway, so JR might be wrong on that one. Well, JR, he, he's one of those guys when you're driving to the south, he's loved NASCAR, and you go by a trailer park, right? And you see the NASCAR flags flying and waving in the wind. JR would be one of those guys with their favorite driver on top of the trailer. So... <laughs> Bed bugs might be a thing for JR. But anyways, so we decide to, um, I decide to look around and pull the sheets off. Nothing, man. I don't see anything. And, and so I, uh, I go to the bathroom. I'm looking at my arm. It's swollen up. And he's like, go back to bed. Go back to bed. So finally I get back in bed. Why? I don't know. And put the sheets on and dude, whack right on my leg. Another like <laughs> unbelievable jump up, screaming, yelling. <laughs> don't know what's going on. So now I rip the sheets off again. He's saying go back to bed, JRs, of course. Uh, I, and I'm like, dude, I'm done, right? So I go out to my truck, pull jeans, sweatshirt, sleep in my truck for like three hours. And finally, dude, I can't sleep. And we got practice. I've been driving all day. I come back inside, um, and I have my everything. Dude, boots on, jeans, sweatshirt. And I get back in bed. I don't see anything. No covers on. I'm thinking, dude. Whatever got me, I hope I hope it gets Jr. right now. Dude, <laughs> not long after, I hear ah! He slaps his chest, dude, and the scorpion's crawling up his chest right at his neck. Things oh. him. We get up, dude. We find the scorpion. So now we know what it is. They were both terrified. I thought I was gonna die. Okay. Because uh, you've stung. never been stung before, right? No, I've never been scored. This little tiny scorpion, clear little scorpion. So we put it in a cup, right, and. I remember seeing this thing. They would put a knife in the cup, and it's teeing off on the knife. Anyways, <laughs> short. We wake up. Everyone in the room's freaking out. Uh, we go down to the store the next day. I'll never forget. There's this Amazon woman uh, or something working at the store. <laughs> what store is this, Rob? You think, dude? Is this across the street, Cody? Is it Butcher Hook? Is it Butcher Hook? It was. I don't remember. This is ten years ago, but a little podunk store. We go in there, and the lady goes, oh, we get stung all the time. No big deal. I'm like, well, what do you do? She goes, get some milk and some Copenhagen. I said, what? What? So never chewed everything. My, yeah, never chewed my life. But she said, put the milk on, put the Copenhagen on. 
So I did. And uh, I didn't die. So I guess it, I guess it works. But the story got better, right? So then we go to the, we go to the room. Uh, we tell the lady, hey, there's a scorpion in our bed. She goes, yeah, right. We don't have scorpions here. And I said, you see, look outside. You see cactuses in the desert? This is where they live, dude. Oh, and, and dude, they're everywhere. It's well known that hotel has tons of scorpions, dude. Yeah, yeah. Tons. She was we didn't have them. She goes, you probably brought them yourself. I said, oh, yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. No scorpions? So then the next day, JR gets his pistol stolen. Uh, Holy While you're fishing? Yeah, while we're fishing. But the best part of the whole story is, so uh, the first day, get out there, practice for about an hour, troll motor cable snaps. Uh, I go, I call Bass Pro, going to Bass Pro, I was going to buy a new troll motor because there was no service there. Uh, they don't have one. They said they did. They're sold out. So I come back. Uh, guy fixes it. Go back on water. Other cable snap. Right? There's two cables on there. <laughs> Thought, oh, my God. So I borrow a cable or a troll motor from a guy. The tournament starts. I had about an hour and a half of practice. And, dude, I can't even hardly flex my arm anymore. It hurt so bad. And I almost won the tournament. Beat me. That wow. pisses me off, dude. <laughs> Under those circumstances. Yeah, I'm like, you know what? Hey, this bank looks good. Go over here and end up catching. So, yeah, it was cool. But, yeah, that's the true story. Uh, Ayler has a different story. His version is, remember that time JR got stung in the cheek by the scorpion and Cody got stung in the ball? Not, not true story. <laughs> <laughs> but and then the next day, we were sleeping next to some guys, you know, in the next cabin over. And I told them the story. And they're like, oh, my God. So they get up and uh, midnight to go to the bathroom. And there's scorpions running down the uh, the walls, the side of the walls. So, yeah. The place is never, loaded with them. Loaded. Never again while I stay there. Hey, Nick slept on the floor at that place one time, dude. Oh. <laughs> yeah, and dude, I didn't get stung, so something about me must not taste good enough, or, well, I, they're hitting you with their tail, so it must not be a taste thing. But Oh, man. The lady said, the Copenhagen lady, she goes, hey, they will, because I was going to, like, pull the sheets off everything. goes, no, they'll go to the warmest part of the room, so they'll climb up the wall, up the ceiling, and drop down on you, literally. That's comforting. Wow. Yeah, but... Yeah, wow. really. No, like paratroopers. Yeah. So let me ask you, since Jr. did, just sounds like such a character. Justin said there was a time where you were driving, th- like down a canyon road in Oregon on the side of a cliff, and he was asleep in the car. Do you remember that one? Oh, yeah. So this was the Columbia River. Um, Lucas was a co-angler, and he roomed with us. And Jr. actually had like night terrors in the hotel that. <laughs> it's got to be terrifying for you guys dude yeah so imagine lucas this little scrawny mutt kid sleeping (laughs) in between the beds right and jr gets up in the middle of the night and said they're here they're coming (laughs) (laughs) he's laying in the middle of the floor that's freaky dude and he's like jr 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 and he takes the blanket and he just slowly pulls it over his head I'm like, what's a blanket we do, Lucas? <laughs> Lucas put the blanket over his head? He put the blanket over his head like the blanket was not protected. So, anyways, uh, yeah, we fished a whole tournament. I fished the final day. I fished all day. Uh, we decided to drive home after the tournament. And so we're driving down. It's by Crater Lake in Oregon, these steep cliffs. And I drive. They're all, I don't know what they did all day, but they're all tired. So I, um, 
they, they drove for like two or three hours and then I drove the rest of the way. Well, uh, as they're driving or as I'm driving, we're going on this Canyon road and no lie. I mean, if you went over this cliff, you're dead. Like there's no, no saving you. So I'm driving and I'm halfway falling asleep. Lucas is, uh, in the back chairs on the side, on the passenger side. And all of a sudden he wakes up and <laughs> He goes, Cody, 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 grabs the steering wheel, dude, starts yanking it. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Yanking it. I can't get him to go. And I'm screaming and yelling. Dude, I reach over and karate chop Jared's throat. Like, I literally <laughs> don't know what to do. And Lucas, his eyes are that big. <laughs> oh, yeah, dude. Holy crap. And, and so I hit him in the throat, wake him up, and he goes, what are you doing, you moron? <laughs> you would never wake someone up that's sleeping. <laughs> yeah. well, that's a true story yep that is extremely that's scary, awesome dude hilarious yeah. dude that that uh reminds me a little bit like the night terror thing reminds me of another time we had lucas uh i was staying with lucas and perch at the b&w resort at the delta which you guys yeah. know where that's at i've stayed there with rob before uh we're staying in one of the little cabins and dave smith do you guys remember dave smith he was an older guy that used to fish the elites He's in the yeah, next yeah. cabin over, and he's got, like, a guy that would, like, caddy for him. He would travel with him and kind of do all the dirty, nitty-gritty stuff when Dave would fish. And sure. in the middle of one of the nights, like, Cliff drew the short straw. So Justin and I get in the bedrooms, and Cliff is sleeping on this, you know, tiny little couch in the living room by the door. And uh, the next morning, Lucas and I get up, and we're like, oh, yeah, nice night. You know, slept well, like, stretching out. And Cliff's like... You guys, you didn't hear what went on. I almost had to go in there and get you guys. And we're like, no. And uh, apparently in the middle of the night, Cliff just like gets woken up by this beating on the <laughs> the cabin next door. Someone's beating on the door and they're saying, and he hears, wake up, wake up, get up. I know you're in there. I know you're in there. I'm going to go in there. I I'm trying to get in there. I know you're in there. I'm going to get up, wake up. And, uh, Cliff is like, God is, he's peeking out the window. He's got his gun in his hand because he knows whoever's in that cabin is coming to ours next. And uh, he's like, not sure what to do and freaking out. And all of a sudden it just kind of stops and uh, this, <laughs> it goes away. And the rest of the night, dude, he can't sleep. He's got an eye open. Like whatever this guy was like trying to break in and into this next cabin is going to come for us. And the next morning we find out, dude, that Dave had gotten up to pee in the middle of the night. He walked outside and locked himself out of the, the cabin. So he was just trying to, you know, get his caddy to wake up and let him back into the cabin. But it sounded, like, <laughs> sounded like an intruder, dude. Oh, that's funny, man. I know you're in there. Yeah. Oh, dude. I, and that would freak me out, too. But we slept right through it. We had no idea what happened. Cliff freaking was up all night with his gun cocked and loaded, ready to just shoot someone. <laughs> Uh, Night terrors are no joke. I've definitely had my share of those too. I think Josh has been along for uh, the old Anasazi way. That's a story we've retold too many times to count. But uh, JR is right, man. You never wake up someone who's sleeping. You just got to let them run their course. Otherwise, who knows what's going to happen, right? Yeah. It's like, you know, it's like stepbrothers when they're shoving uh, pillows in the oven and stuff, right? You just let them do their thing. Hey, the only <laughs> exception I feel like is when you're about to drive off a cliff. Good point. Yes. <laughs> I love how you had to karate chop him, dude. Yeah, literally. <laughs> the, old, the old throat punch. All right, so last. Fish with JR now. <laughs> yeah. It's hilarious. Sounds like just such an awesome, uh, awesome dude to hang around, man. Um, okay, how about uh, 
Scott Suggs story, dude. When you left your rig at Scott Suggs' house and uh, had rat problems. Yeah. Oh my. Here's here's that in Arkansas, uh, brand new Toyota Tundra I had. It was uh, this crazy story. We we go to uh, Arkansas. We went to Beaver Lake. Sorry, we went to Beaver Lake. We fished a tournament, and then the following tournament, like two weeks later, it was gonna be at Table Rock. So I drive my rig back to Suggs' house. Um, it's sitting there. And I come back, you know, whatever it was, eight, nine days later, we frequently do fly home. And I go to start my car, and it's just cranking over, just like, you know, a brand new truck had, what, four, four or 5,000 miles on it. And JR goes, pop the hood. So I pop the hood, and he looks, goes, oh, my God. And I'm not kidding you. There was a rat nest. I swear to you, it was two feet wide. Oh, what does a rat nest look like, dude? Dude, like a gigantic bird nest, like a condor's nest. Dude, it's <laughs> full of stuff, but did junk. Like there's acorns, there's plastic, there was just whatever scraps this bug could find. And uh, so, anyways, we uh, I don't know what to do. We we kind of, you know, take pictures of it, call AAA, clean this thing off. They towed it down to the Toyota dealership. And fixed it, twenty eight hundred bucks. But AAA charged me a hundred dollars for like some animal incident, so that was cool. And then we go up, fish Table Rock, uh, finish the tournament. We're coming back, and for whatever reason, I decided to pop the hood, and there's like three acorns on part of the motor. I'm like, what? Like this can't be. Like they're not still in here, right? So we drive all the way down to Montevallo, Alabama, outside of Birmingham, at Clint Davis's house. I leave my rig. And I called him like midway through the week. I'm like, hey, dude, do you mind checking? Like, go start my truck and check under the hood. Dude, same thing. Started starting it. Nothing happened. Uh, he opens up. Same thing, dude. Like half a rat nest. What it was is they were living. They made a nest after we screwed their one nest. They made a nest somewhere in the truck. And they hatched like 10 rat babies, dude. And they ate all the wires again. Oh, oh my god. god. So Clint's dad, he is dude as redneck as they come and he had these huge rat sticker traps he set down. He's prepared for the, you don't want to be in Montevello if you're a rat. Dude. You're getting hunted, dude. You did. If you're a pig, a deer, any kind of animal, you're getting hunted and you're dead. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Your back is to the sky. Dude, he ended up catching them over like a course of a couple of days, and he had pictures of all of them. Sent them to me, and then same thing. Went back in, hundred bucks later. It's like another. This time it was like three grand, dude. So six, <laughs> almost six grand of damage, man, in two weeks from stupid rats. In two weeks, dude, that's amazing how quick. Two weeks, yeah, about happened. two and a half weeks or something. But they lived in the truck from while Arkansas. you drove a thousand miles. How'd that happen, dude? I don't know. Arkansas to Missouri to Alabama, and they stayed in there the whole time. You imagine They're adventure seekers. Dude, yeah. they must just like the wind in their fur or something. Dude, I would have bailed out, man. That was a wrap. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it ended up costing them in the long run, dude. It was a bad call to stay in the truck. Yeah, going to Montevallo, man. No no good there. Yeah. <laughs> That's a great one, dude. I remember Suggs telling that story, dude. You know, with yeah. his accent. God dang, it was funny, man. Oh, dude, Suggs. When you, when you get him around. Suggs is different. Like, when he's fishing... He's uh, he's he's pretty grumpy, right? But you get him out, you know, at dinner or something, dude. He's hilarious. He's an animal. It's and <laughs> yeah, you would never think that if you just watched him on on the water on TV or whatever, dude. It'd be like, but he's an animal. 
Yeah, like I, I remember Kentucky Lake one time before the blast off, we're sitting there and we both were doing good after the first day and we're fishing the same spot, same old ledge spot at Kentucky Lake. And he's laughing, he's throwing this big old craw bait and oh man, I'm throwing this lobster and and, and then we get out in the water, you know, this is thirty minutes later and I catch one, he catches one and I'm trying to joke with him and talk and he won't even talk. I'm like Really? Wait, he flipped the switch, man, and then that way and he was good as can be again. So yeah, he's he's a different guy, man, on the water. So funny. I love him, dude. That's hilarious. Uh, well, right on, dude. Uh, those are those are awesome. Uh, before we let you go, have you been spotted bass fishing like for the toad spots yet this? Well, this year, did you go this winter? You know, I really didn't. Um, I went one day. I spent so much time on Lake Shasta this year uh, just because there's a lot of tournaments. But, you know, the Bullard's Bar, I went only one day and it's, it's been so off right now. So that's, that's kind of done, but I am going to go hopefully this week to another lake that, uh, if they're spawning, you catch not like those eight, nine pounders, but you'll catch a lot of five pounders. So still big ones for spots. That's crazy. What dude? what are your top five biggest spots out of Bullards? Um, so I have, uh, my biggest is 1080. Is it still the world record? (laughs) No, got broke 11, 24. Oh my Ooh. goodness! A 1080 yeah. spot. Yeah, 1080. What? My it, my biggest five, my smallest would be about nine and a half. My smallest. Wow. Smallest, fifth smallest. Yeah. So, in its glory days, dude, you would catch a lot of those eight, nine pounders, ten pounders, super hard to come by. But, you know, the eight pound range was very, very common there for a long time. I mean, I remember taking my buddy from Georgia, who lives on Lake Lanier. I leave my boat at his house, and. uh his biggest linear spot his whole life was six pounds. And we go out there and, uh, it was when my daughter, my wife was pregnant with my daughter and, uh, she had, we had to leave by noon. We caught 15 bass spots over seven by noon. And then we went out. <laughs> yeah. so, wow. And then we went back the next day, you know, all jacked up, never got a bite. <clears throat> One of those places, like when they come up and catch giants and then they leave that spot, they don't. They live out in the middle of the lake. They never go to the bottom. So you'll probably probably won't see them for a long time. Do you think there will ever th- be something like that again anywhere? Probably not. You know, Bullards. Uh, Lucas tells a story. He fished there one time, and he goes, "Dude, the only thing they eat at Bullards is is crickets." I'm like, "What? They used to be so small there. There's no bait fish of any kind. No shad. Uh, well, there's bluegill. That's it. But very few. And so it takes them." who knows how long to get to the size before they can eat the salmon. So once they get to maybe two and a half pounds, they eat this kokanee salmon. Um, and then they grow about a pound in a year, a pound a year. But I don't think we'll ever see that. I mean, I'm maybe, you know, never say never, but they're overpressured now. That was like a hidden sleeper. It's always been a terrible fishery. And then it took, you know, years to get to that point. And then the word kind of got out and it ruined it for sure. Man. Yeah crazy deal go ahead didn't you catch did you catch them in a real unconventional way too not not like a normal lake with bait fish and stuff or was it Uh, so they mostly ate like finesse stuff weird as that is they don't even eat anything but a salmon but they you could see down at bullards easily 25 feet all the time uh most of the big ones you'd catch would be like long line on a 10 xd you know over like 150 feet of water or something like that it wouldn't touch the bottom or uh, weightless baits, you know, okay. weightless Cinco type stuff, little swim baits, float and fly. But yeah, never, if you go there 
you would if you caught a big one and never be related to the bottom ever always 100 percent suspended Dude, what would start. position them in that example with the 10xd what's positioning that fish over the abyss like how do you even begin to try and pinpoint that so you'll see like the salmon where um, okay there's there's like only seven or eight spots in the lake where you catch a big one and they're just spots where they live in the middle of the lake, the bass and, and the salmon. And as the salmon make their little migration over, like, say, some deep points or something, they'll, you'll find them on the graph when you idle around and, okay, they're in 50 feet today. And so those bass will use those points as the salmon come by. And, like say, they're, they're always in big packs. You know, there's 10, 20 of these giant spots together. And so they'll... Uh, you're hoping you're there when they come through that one area and the salmon make their, their pass through there and you catch them. If not, Dude, they're like straight up pelagic yeah, at that point. Right. Yeah. Like the little ones, you drag something on the bank, you'll catch little ones, you know? And then once they get to a certain size, it's like, man, never very rarely do you catch one on the bottom. Makes sense. Their food source is just out there swimming in circles. You know, yep. it's funny. Um, you talk about Kokanee. There's a reservoir between Wyoming and Utah. It's on the border there, Flaming Gorge. Yep. And uh, and I fished there a few times. And actually, it was for big lake trout. And uh, it was kind of the same thing. Only those fit, lake trout do connect, you know, relate to the bottom. Uh-huh. But it was funny, man. Dead sticking a giant Toro tube and like 115 feet of water. And they're just sitting down there. Same thing, dude. They just, the Kokanee swim over their head. And they just swim up from the bottom, dude. They, you could see them on the graph just streaking at like Mach 7. And yep. then boom. And then you just see it streak back down. It's like, it's crazy. So crazy. will you watch them come up and eat your bait like that too? You see the line come up and meet your bait so, and then boom, you so, feel the bite? Dude, the kid I was fishing with, it didn't happen while I was there with him. But he had done it many times. You'd just you'd dead stick it on the bottom. Because you, you'd drop down on the hook. You'd see him on the graph. But then other times, too, you'd see them start streaking. You'd just start slowly reeling, and he had caught them before where they'll, like, hit slack in the line, you yeah. know, 40 feet suspended over 100 feet. It's just mind-boggling. That'd be a hard thing to figure out. I mean, once you figure it out, you're good. But, geez, that's, that's like, it's, mind-blowingly random. Yeah, it's, it is, for sure. Uh, stuff like the live scope now, the Garmin stuff, that makes it. Game changer. Yeah. Been oh, yeah. <laughs> Because if not, you know, back in the day, you're just passing, guessing. You know, you get a, a milk run of stuff where you've caught them over the years, and so you kind of run them. Now it's like, oh, they're not here. Let's go. Or there's one out there, something like that. Totally. But building that milk run doesn't happen overnight, right? Here, <laughs> uh, bullers used to be, uh, you'd go up there and you'd catch like 53 pound spots a day. Unbelievable. And then it was, you know, 34 pounders. And then the numbers kept going down and down, but the size went up. And now I feel like it says three or four years, that class of fish, they're just gone. You know, Aged out. yeah, but now you, you catch, you know, a two pounder is kind of a big one. I mean, there's still huh. like, what he caught an eight the other day, but he's been up there maybe 10 days and caught one eight pounder. And he knows what to do. Interesting. Well, yeah, maybe who knows? Maybe something else will pop up like that down the road, but, um, Dude, uh, we know you got a lot of stuff to do, Cody. So I've got one more question. I don't know about uh, if you guys have any. And I got something random I want to. Yeah, please come on. Uh, Well, is this related to what we're talking about now or no? Something different. Dude, it's me. Of course, this is a ninety degree turn way off into the weeds. Yeah, go uh, bring it. What do you got? As it it looks like our connection just continues to deteriorate. If anyone, you guys able to hear me? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right, tight. Cody, I saw on the uh, MLF. website doing a little research on you dude you collect pollen is that a 
book or like what what in the world does someone collecting pollen what do you do you just try and get as allergic to everything as you can or how does that work yeah, so i don't i don't do it anymore but yeah for once upon a time that was a job i did so i worked with this guy who um collected pollen and he broke it down and processed it into allergy shots so if you're allergic oh. like say acacia was a big one we collected the only guy in the entire country to do it uh, the acacia in California, there's three strains that we can collect that work across the world. Um, and it was unbelievable. It was worth more in its weight than gold, and it was completely free. <laughs> yeah, baby. Right on, dude. Yeah, Nobody knows so, how to make money, dude. Dude, I would go out there, and I'd go to someone's house and be like, hey, can I – can I get your pollen off your tree? They're like, can I go shake your tree? <laughs> yeah, go ahead. I hate that stupid tree. Oh, okay. <laughs> so I would literally just grab it off my hands. And uh, yeah, I got paid like seven bucks a pound. And you could collect roughly 150 pounds a day. It was great money. Wow. That's, that's awesome, cool, man. Yeah, it was perfect time for, uh, you know, right in the, you know, fishing season is prior to it. So it was like, dude, let's do this. Yep. When's the last time you did this? Years ago. Gotcha. Uh, it, yeah, it's just the guy passed away now, and his uh, his cousins are running the show, and it's they we're so busy now. I mean, I would I would do it again, but I just they have so many people doing it. I don't think they need my help anymore. Gotcha. Right. Funny, like, I heard a story one time. The best the best ideas for making money come, you know, from you know just crazy good ideas that no one thinks of. One time I heard uh, I, I know it's pennies that are dated like prior to 1950 and like dimes or something prior to 1950 are worth more for their actual like um, copper content and it's nickels and the nickel content that back when they actually had the metal in them, mm-hmm. then dude, you could just go around and buy up, you know, sacks of old pennies from banks and stuff and then just turn the copper in. And it was like each penny was worth 12 cents worth of copper. Huh. Yeah. Interesting. So it's funny. It's like kind of like that pollen deal where it's like, you just go, Collect something that no one really wants and just re, you know, rail it in. Yeah, this thing of the fall and this guy, he was a teacher and he he was like on a thirty thousand dollar year salary, uh-huh. and, and uh, he was making you know half million or more collecting pollen a year. Wow, insane! Good for him, man. Brilliant. My, my father-in-law helped him one time, and they went out and they were uh, prospecting gold like as a hobby, and they were going around. He'd come across this old down tree. And he flipped the tree over, and there was these big old uh, ants, like carpenter ants. And he collected them up, and he goes, what are we doing this for? He goes, dude, this batch of ants right here will pay for that clot I just bought. (laughs) (laughs) This guy's crazy, man. Well, he had a massive connection with this biopollen company. And he had his niche, and he made tons of money. And it was, like say, completely free product. Brilliant. Yeah. That's, well, that's a good thing to collect, man. Now it makes sense. And I read it. I was like, you collect pollen. Okay. Yeah. All right. Like that's, if you're allergic, unique, but now it makes sense. Yeah. Like dude, there's someone allergic to like when a cactus blooms, right. Or yeah. something. And there's somebody that literally collects that. And, huh. uh, and then sends it to the lab. Right. Yeah. He, he collects it, breaks it down, sends it to the lab. And then you pay through the, you know, through the, the roof for that allergy shot. <laughs> Crazy. Yeah. That's awesome. That's cool. Uh, well, uh, last thing, Cody, what do you think about Gronk, dude, going to the Buccaneers? Dude, Gronk's a freak, huh? Do you see him spike uh, Steve Harvey's head? <laughs> no, no. 
What? Uh-uh. Recently? Oh, yeah. New Year's Eve. Uh, Gronk's drunk and they're having like this party. And Steve Harvey, there's this head of his. You have to YouTube it. It's a Lego. <laughs> Dude, and he's sitting there and he grabs it and spikes it. Shatters it two million pieces. And somebody worked on that three weeks, I was told. But, That's yeah. classic Gronk. Dude, and hey, I love Gronk. Like, it's, it, I'm a diehard Patriots fan. So it's gonna. It's hard to see him go to anyone else, but uh, I'm going to try to get him on fantasy, dude. I'm definitely going to try to get him. Yeah, no, he's a, he's a stud. He, uh, I mean, obviously no one could really guard him, and he retired, and I thought everyone thought, you know, hey, he, he still had some more uh, fuel in the tank there, but there must have been something pretty bad going on at New England for, for all those guys that went out. And it, kind of interesting the talent they've had and you know if you if you go back two three years the talent they had and then what they've got now it's pretty it's wild yeah well and and yeah i mean just like i was looking at uh this morning mel kuyper was talking about the patriots like they ignored all their needs in the draft hmm. but he'll belichick will find a way to like make it go crazy and, and work right oh yeah did you see the video from the draft you guys they, they did the draft remotely like what we're doing this podcast and belichick had his dog at the table and yeah. like uh like you know he, he uh i don't know he acted like he let the dog pick and then gave the dog a treat after uh their first whatever their first pick. <laughs> yeah so bizarre no that'll be cool to watch man for sure he'll be he'll be really good Right on, right on. Well, dude, Swenson as a quarterback, but who knows? <laughs> yeah, who knows about that guy? They must have some confidence in him. Yeah, yeah. Golly. Well, uh, right on, dude. We we appreciate you coming on big time. Those stories were uh, hilarious, and uh, we'd love to have you again, man. Yeah, likewise, man. Anytime. Thanks again for listening to the podcast, guys. We appreciate you guys tuning in every week. We also appreciate the reviews, ratings, and uh, of course, most of all, sharing the podcast. It really helps us when you post it on social media, tell your buddies about it. It goes a long way for us and uh, gives us the opportunity to keep doing it, uh, which we're having a blast with. Hope you guys stay safe. Um, hope to see you on the water really soon, and uh, we'll talk to you guys next week. See ya.